Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I am joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Brent Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Hello and welcome to the Reconstructed Faith podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, and while several of us are out of the office during the holidays, we are sharing valuable episodes that we hope will encourage you and remind you of truth. So in the meantime, we are busy putting together our new series that centers on politics as it relates to faith and foundations, as well as digging into tough topics under the umbrella of politics that have led people to question their faith and deconstruct. So we hope you enjoy the episode, and we can't wait to jump into our new series soon. Well, today we are going to revisit some of the definition of Christianity as we kind of continue our conversation about reconstructed faith. So I'm going to throw it over to Chris Legg first today. Yep, this one's one's my fault. I came in saying, okay, I just listened... (laughs) Walking around the neighborhood last night with my kids, um, extorting candy from strangers. Um, we, uh, I was listening to the podcast, and I realized two things. One, uh, I, I talk too much on the podcast. So, one, we'll be working on that one. But the um, uh, number two uh, is... You just um, had a lot of good things to say. I, see, that's what I tell myself right there. But now, <laughs> That's why I pay you. <laughs> But now we both have a mute button that we just push. Yes, exactly right. They, they, they point at me and I will yeah. stop mid, so, mid-conversation. So Chris has told us to interrupt him. <laughs> exactly. when, so when if, we, if they do, if my wife listens this podcast, she'll be like, hey, hey, he doesn't let me do that. But anyway, all right. So, uh, okay. So looking at this conversation um, on Christianity, here's what I realized. So as we talked about, and, and I think fairly appropriately kept saying, this is hard to define Christianity. <clears throat> and we really spent the podcast talking about what makes it hard to mm-hmm. define it, which I, I thought was valuable. I, I, I'm not saying it wasn't good right. in that sense. But here's what struck me is that, is that, and I think partially because of the nature of this podcast, we were talking it in terms of truth claims, mm-hmm. um, which, is, which again is also right. There is a series of truth claims. But I think, I think if I've been listening to the podcast and it wasn't my podcast, and that's true. Our podcast, I was screaming at it too, did the same thing. Like, no, Christianity is not merely about truth claims. It's about the person, Jesus Christ. Like it's, um, that to me struck me as, uh, what part of what makes it so difficult to summarize with merely truth claims is in the same way it would be difficult to summarize my marriage with merely truth claims. Yeah. Like, no, no, you can't take ginger out of this and understand my marriage. And, and I think it's natural for us to say, okay, so, here are the truth claims that Christianity makes, a healthy, good conversation, and we'll continue to have it. And the most important truth claim of Christianity is that that Jesus Christ is, and that that's the, there is this, there is this guy, Jesus yeah. Christ, and he has a relationship with us. And defining relationships is a whole lot harder than just defining truth claims. Yeah. So uh, anyway... That struck me as significant. That's great. And then with that, Chris, we were talking, Chris shared, I think it would be valuable for you to now unpack a little bit about what we don't mean by Christianity and how that has come up just in regular conversation for you. Yeah. Well, yeah, just this morning I was uh, talking to someone. It was really great when you have to kind of go back to, I can't assume that you know all of these words that I 
all these Christianese words that we use and just have to re-explain it in really, really basic um, ways. And so I actually used <clears throat> the phrase that Chris had just mentioned about it's a relationship, not a religion. Mm. But I, I qualified it. I said, I mean, technically it is a religion. It's it's a bunch of, of you know, mm-hmm. this is what we believe and don't believe and how you, you know, what you should follow. But it is ultimately about restoring my relationship with God. And so it gets back to then the heart of the gospel and why do I need to be, you know, saved that we already talked about. But what I tried to explain was the difference between uh, who I am versus what I do. And I was, I was, was explaining that in in Christianity, it's who I am in Christ that identifies me. It's not what I do that I have to do a bunch of things. Yeah. Um, and I did use in our our Wednesday night evangelism class, we're talking about these two diagnostic questions, and I did actually bring those up. Do you know for certain if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? And then if you were to stand before God and say, and, and God were to say, "Why should I let you into my heaven?" What would you say? And it just gets back to what are you depending on? But ultimately, it still comes back to the person of Jesus. And that's where all the scriptures pointing to him, either looking ahead to him or looking back to what he did and who he is and what our worship is all about, um, that he's Lord of all the universe. And, and there's a whole bunch of verses about that by him, all things were created and exist for him and, and things. But ultimately, I was just trying to explain, like, it's it's not substitute that religion now for our religion. Mm -hmm. It's who Jesus is and what he did. And I think one of the huge revelations I had not long ago was that Paul actually never, ever uses the word Christian. Not that it's a bad word, but to describe us. In fact, it only shows up, we're addressed as Christians only once in 1 Peter 4, mentioned twice in the book of Acts as a a title. Mm -hmm. But over a hundred times, Paul uses the phrase in Christ or some form of that. Yeah. to describe who we are and, and what, what, you know, identifies us. And so um, he tries to use it in different ways. The first time he did it was in uh, Romans 6, um, and he used the idea of, like, being buried in him or baptized in him. He's mm-hmm. used words like we're clothed in him. Uh, everything that he's trying to get us to wrap our minds around is, mm-hmm. do you understand that this is your identity? You are in him what he did for you and in your place, dying the death that you should Mm -hmm. have died, living the life that you should have lived. All of that is wrapped up in who Jesus is. And Mm -hmm. so even the distinction that we were just talking about before we got recording in that with Buddhism, you can take Buddha out of the formula and you still have the basic tenets of this is what Buddhism is about or, or other religions, but you take Jesus out of Christianity and you got nothing. Um, It's literally all about, Right. I mean, he's been the focus the whole time mm-hmm. and is what it's all about. It's not just yeah. add him on. Even me explaining to this um, friend that I was talking to that this is not just I'm adding Jesus onto my life. Mm-hmm. It's he is my life, that he's everything. Yeah, um, that's great. Which is a big price tag that he, mm-hmm. he I mean, it wasn't like he hinted at it. He made it very clear, like, yeah. following me means you're giving me your all, your everything. Yeah. So taking a couple of steps back, we were talking about the difference between who I am versus what I do. Mm-hmm. We talk about this a lot in the Christian circles. I feel right. like behavioral modification right. versus heart change and relationship. Why is that our, why, why do we always turn, or it seems that we always turn to works-based what I do? How can I make myself good enough? Like, why is, do you know why that's like, 
within Christianity why that's the case? Yeah, or and just why, mean in general. Well, I guess I'm thinking about our listeners in Christianity, right? But most all religions are, well, what do I do to? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Reach? I think, gosh, there's a lot of directions to go with that. One would be, um, I think, I think one of them it comes down to the some of the root sociological kind of views on on even what what religion is, mm-hmm. and then at least in one of the main. I know there's two main theories on how religion develops outside of God. So secular yeah. perspectives. And one of them is essentially we have traits we like in ourselves. So then we apply them to our gods, or our animals, and then we worship those traits. And so in the end, all we're really worshiping is ourselves. Right. And so it would make sense that therefore we are the ones who could solve whatever problems we face because we're really just worshiping ourselves in the name of an animal um, or a God. Like in totemism, it's an animal or a symbol. Mm-hmm. With most polytheism, it's a god, but the gods still just bear our traits. Mm-hmm. They're not different than us. They're not. They're not quantitatively. No, they're not qualitatively different than us. They're just okay. quantitatively different than us. And so, I think that would be a part of it. Is within general yeah. why that's a natural instinct for religions to turn into a list of rules, mm-hmm. which is what religion means, right? Mm-hmm. Order. Yeah. Um. So I would say that's that's got to be a part of it. Okay. And even struggling with the what what do I do even after I'm a believer? Like this is what the conversation with my friend today turned back to. So now when you become a Christian, then you're good because you're paying God back. And I was like, no, no, no. It's not. That's still not my motive. Like I'm trying to pay God back for all the good things that he's done for me. Um, I just explained like. I get to do these things. I have a new heart. I have new desires. And it's not just a bunch of rules now that I've substituted the old moral moralism with a new set of moralism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's motivated by love or a new, and again, I, I'm totally honest with like, but I'm, I don't always want to do that. There's a struggle going on, but mm-hmm. I think there's a natural bent in us to want to reciprocate. Like you're nice to me. I'm nice to you, or you're not nice to me. You deserve this. And so right. we, we apply that then to our walk with God and we're thinking like, well, therefore, if he's going to be nice and let me into heaven, I better do yeah. so that he sees it as transactional. Transactional is the word I was waiting, yeah, yeah. looking for. I think that's, I think transactional is exactly the way we, yeah. we want it to be transactional and we even understand that. Like we, that we can wrap our brains around because mm-hmm. we do that so often with each other, mm-hmm. but, well, but a it's non-transactional also, one. It's also really humbling to say, there's nothing that I did to get me here. It was totally God. You know what I'm saying? I want to be able to say I contributed some. Mm-hmm. Right. I was a nice guy, and therefore that tipped the scale. Like it's just really in our modern mind, especially. You know, we just don't like the idea of like I'm really that bad. That the only way was to save me was that God had to actually become a man and die in my like. That's how bad I was. Mm-hmm. That that it's it's. I'm that pathetic and people don't like that. Okay. Thank you guys for taking a second to unpack that a little bit. I'm sure it'll keep coming up Yeah, as we're talking about that. Cause the, I think the whole transactional thing can be really hard for people to get past. And yep. then when you're dealing with, I mean, people I, going back to what we talked about in the worldly theories, people doing things pragmatically mm-hmm. or re 
rebuilding or reconstructing their faith with that pragmatic or pragmatism theory of truth where it's like you're doing things, you're kind of going through the motions for the sake of, uh, was it social capital or community capital or whatever, mm-hmm. that it's easy for us to get into the, well, I need to do these things so that I can be accepted or do these things or yeah. whatever. So, yeah, that's great. Paul, in First Corinthians 4, uh, 4, Paul actually interjects in this midst of, you know, he cares about the Corinthian church. They're really immature, but in the midst of them fighting over who they followed and bragging on, I follow Paul, Apollos, or Peter. But he actually kind of takes a time out and goes, okay, just so you guys know, I don't care what you or any human court says about me. Mm-hmm. Um, so he brings in the, the, the image of a court, and Tim Keller explains this really, really good in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, that mm. in, a, in a court of law, you're, you're hearing evidences on both sides if you're on trial. Um, right. For you, against you, and then you you're waiting for the verdict. Am I am I acquitted? Am I guilty? Type thing. And what he says is Christianity is the only religion where you get the verdict before your performance. Right. Where bef- not counting everything that I've done or not done, good or bad, whatever, God because of Jesus already says I declare you not guilty. Actually, yes. I, I declare you completely just, as if you've all always right. kept right, which is crazy. Every other religion is, uh, I'm relating to God because of what I do. Yeah. The, the reason God accepts me is because I do these things. And I, I mean, I think not even other religions or, or cults even, but there's a lot of people in just Baptist, Protestant churches oh, yes. that think God accepts me because of what I do. Mm-hmm. Right. And the hard part of being on staff is if I think my standing before God is based on what I do, then I'll volunteer, I'll tithe, mm-hmm. I'll teach. I'll serve, I'll, I'll stay after to set up chairs, whatever, because that's how I get right with God. Mm-hmm. But if I understand I'm right with God because of what Jesus did for me, then I might tithe and serve and teach right. and stay after and set up chairs because I get right. to. So on the surface, it looks the same, but it's all, do you understand why you're doing these things? Yeah. Yep. Like what's going on there, what Jesus did for you. That's <clears throat> that's a, um. gosh, this is good. I'm, I'm glad we're... We're kind of revisiting this. I think that one of the ways I even think through the gospel is like, um, I tell people, if you join a class, if you decided to take a class, so so if you could go back to college and take mm-hmm. one class, what would you, what topic would you study? I think I would probably study something along the lines of hermeneutics or something like that. Because okay, I, did, I didn't, yeah, I didn't do many Bible classes. So perfect. So let's say like you that. decide you're going to go, you know, to one of the seminaries and, and you're going to take hermeneutics class and the professor walks in and it turns out the professor you really, you really, really like. They've, they've hired Chris Sherrod yeah. to be the world renowned speaker. That's right. And so you get, you get, he comes in and he's going to speak. You know him, you, you love him. You think he's a great teacher. You're like, I had no idea. What a, what a bonus. Right. And Chris comes in and says, okay, you get, um, uh, or I'm going to call roll. And when you answer here, um, I'm going to mark a 100 in the final grade column for the class, a 100. Um, not just an A or a B, but a 100. Not just a passing grade, but a 100. Um, that's what I'm going to mark. Now, just so you'll know, between now and then, you're probably going to fail this class a lot. Like, the, the tests are hard. The quizzes are impossible. The paperwork, I mean, oh my gosh, the papers you're going to write, you've never written anything like this. And it's going to be really, really hard. And... There will be bonus questions and there will be bonus work and all this extra stuff. And then your final grade will be a 100 if you answer here today at the roll call. And, and then you say, so, so then what would possibly motivate me to, 
take this, I mean, to do the hard work. I mean, why would I do it? Like, I'm not afraid of losing my mm-hmm. 100. And it's funny to hear people describe when I ask that question and they'll say like, well, it could be a trick, you know, or, or, or maybe I could make 104 in the class. Like, no, no, no. See, it's a 100, the final. And they give all these reasons that are all fear-based. But as I keep setting this, no, see, that's not going to, it's, I promise you, he's, 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 he's never lied. He's not going to like, it's a 100. And then they start getting creative. Like, well, gosh, I could, I could write a paper on whatever I want. Like, really wanted to. How many of you have ever written a paper in school that you thought, this is ridiculous. I can't believe I have to write this and tell the professor exactly what they want to hear. Right. So that's all I'm going to do. Well, what if you, what if you want to write a paper and hey, you have a different opinion than Chris Sherrod and you know, he's going to be ticked off at, at what you've written. Well, you can still do that because you have a 100 in the final grade column. Or if you're going, I want to explore an idea that may turn out to be terrible, but I want to explore it. I want to, I want to unpack this and really try to learn. Or I want to try something that I know I don't know how to do or, you know, you go to Chris and say, I'm going to write a song. I don't even really know how to write music and I don't know how to play the piano, but I'm going to play it on the piano as my final grade, you know, for my final exam. And he's like, great, go for it. Knock yourself. That sounds like a great idea. Do it. And you're like, I'm, what kind of grade am I going to get? And he's like, I'm sure you'll fail it. I'm sure it'll bomb. I mean, it'll be horrible, but you get to do that and you get to, you get to engage. Is it hard? Yes. And so it's like the difference between learning Chinese because you're in a class of Chinese and learning Chinese because you've fallen in love with a girl who speaks Chinese. Mm. And they're both this behaviorally, they look really similar, but they're nothing alike. If you're, if you're listening to the podcast and you're married, you can imagine the difference between being seduced by your spouse because they're supposed to seduce you versus being seduced by your spouse because they want you. Those are not behaviorally. Those may look really similar. They are not the same. Right. And, and if you, if it's rules based, you can only get one, you can't get the other one. I think a lot of times what I, the reason I asked earlier, Colson, which one you meant was, do you mean in the church or do you mean in general? I mean, it, it breaks my heart that I think probably the reason a lot of Christians and non-Christians who don't know the church or are deconstructing their faith, they're, they are deconstructing a faith that taught them exactly against what we're talking about, mm-hmm. that it is a series of rules. There is this uh, Santa Claus God who's keeping track of whether you're naughty or nice and he's going to reward or punish you. It's this karma God, not the God who exists. Or it's a, I, I don't, I, the old man in the sky. There's so many of these presentations of the Christian God that deserve to be deconstructed because they don't exist. They're not real. And I, I was raised with a behavioral modification type of version of Christianity. And that had to be deconstructed. Or I either had to leave the faith or, or learn that that wasn't the truth. So that's an example of what you're asking. I think sadly, sometimes people deconstruct this or they hear that and they go, Oh, it must be rules based. Oh, it's just a series mm-hmm. of activity. Oh, it's just a, because that's what they've been told and taught sometimes from a pulpit. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's great. Ugh. Well, so we're, now that we've been jumping in and talking more about that. It's a relationship. Yeah. A relationship with Jesus. I think it would probably be good for us to define who do we mean when we say Jesus. Yep. So who so go ahead and Chris share it if you want to start us off. Can I read from Colossians one? Am I you, allowed to read the Bible? I think you are. <laughs> I was just trying to think as we talked about that, I was thinking, well, let me just go to a really good description. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of verses we can go to. I just like this because it's it's very um it covers a lot. Uh I'm gonna read in verse 15. It says, He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The word all keeps showing up, by the way. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, on, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then it talks about the personal application in our lives. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And um, it goes on to some other things. But I just... But that was a good summary of all yeah. things, everything, all things. It's not he's not just on par with other, mm-hmm. you know, good religious moral teachers. He's yeah, fully God. And uh, the next chapter it says, "For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily." It's it's fully God became mm-hmm. fully man, which we mentioned uh, a little. Yes, bit, we did. But, so where do people get that wrong a lot of times? Like we talk about why it's important for us to define who we, who we, who we mean when we say Jesus. Right. Why is that important? Well, you want as, as full an understanding as you can get. Right. So if you say he was a rabbi who walked the planet in the Middle East 2000 years ago, that's not wrong. He was a, a rabbi. If you say, um, that he was a religious leader or religious teacher who taught moral, morally significant things. I mean, that's, that's true. But what people have been saying almost since the time he was here and then maybe C.S. Lewis gets the most credit for is you can't leave him there. He's not, he, he did not, he did not leave it as an option that he would just be a moral teacher or a religious leader or a rabbi from 2000 years ago or uh, the son of a carpenter or the, even the half son of a carpenter, he didn't leave that as an option. You're stuck with him being something more than that with the teachings in scripture that he can't, if he was a, if he was just a moral teacher and he's misled directly or indirectly about one in every three people Mm. in the last 2000 years into believing that the most important thing in their life was, is based on a lie. No one comes close to him as far as being a tyrant or a madman or a horrible person or, or he was a nutcase someone who thought he was God in the same way that some people think they're Napoleon or that they're a lemon square. It doesn't, it doesn't, they're, they weren't. This is, this is before people could just identify as something, you know? Yep. So. And then Josh McDowell turned it into the liar, lunatic Lord. Right. Thing. I actually heard once, and I think this is the Latin phrase, et deus et homo malus, either God or a bad man. Like yeah. That was an old, an old phrase before C.S. Lewis, but. It's at least saying he's either a bad man, a madman, or the God man. Right. That's another way to put it. But when people say he's just a good moral teacher, a lot of Christians go, okay, well, yeah, I guess we do believe that. And they just kind of leave it there. But but like Chris said, he didn't leave it there. Right. Um, because, again, if he's, if he's telling you, trust in me for your eternal destiny, and he knows that he's lying, that's evil. Yeah. Like, that's telling a whole lot of people, you know, to— stake your eternal claim and your relationship, you know, with God on me. And he knows that he's lying. That's not a good moral teacher. Right. 
So, in fact, it's it, one of the things that's intriguing is is um uh that people will sometimes say Jesus never claimed to be God, and I guess we could clear up that real quick. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, I know that at the beginning we wanted to define a lot of our concepts and terms outside of Scripture, and we'll continue to try to defend a lot of the truth claims of Christianity outside of that, knowing that that's not something that um, that everyone equally admires. And in fact, I think probably we'll spend more than a little bit of time unpacking why we do trust Scripture to be a, right. a source of revelation, but or what we call the Holy Bible. Um, but Jesus, Jesus does claim clearly and he doesn't say it in english which i think is what confuses people there's not a there's not a sentence where jesus says i am god right um but he he wouldn't have in his day and age in fact if he had of it might or might not have been clearly understood what he was saying um but but what we do have is that in in a question and answer situation before the religious leaders <clears throat> and you can find this if you need to look in john 8 um so if you get down to 56-ish, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, mm-hmm. I am. And uh, they pick up stones to throw at him, which... They clearly think he's claiming to be God. They crucified him for claiming to be God or yeah, wanted to be crucified. They weren't picking up stones to say, like, get out of here. <laughs> it was Yo, like, no. no, we're going to kill you now. Right. That's why they picked up stones. In the temple. They felt justified on executing him right then and there. And and um, so he runs and he actually hides himself, it says. Um, that's not, it was not the, he just kind of vanished, some kind of supernatural trick there, but but what matters here is it clearly is the claim. When you say the phrase, before Abraham was, I am, you are very clearly claiming to be Yahweh, which means I am. It is, yeah. the, it is the clear claim to be the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, which is why they want to kill him. I mean, he's committed the ultimate in heresy unless he is Yahweh. Yep. And so uh, there's a really afraid, a place like this only has two options. Either he is or he is the great blasphemer and was worthy, was deserving of the death he was about to get from the Jewish perspective, or he is, he is who he says he was. And there's just not a lot of, there's, there's really no good way of, of getting around the fact that he claimed to be God. He was by his immediate followers understood to be God, worshiped as God. And, um, from, from very early on and then proclaimed it in unclear in, in no uncertain terms all through early Christianity. So either he was long before, always has been God and then came to experience life, to to come and live life as a human being, which is the basic, one of the basic claims. And he was the friend of these men. And he was the son of Mary and and, and the half son of Joseph or, uh, or the stepson of Joseph, I guess, not the half son, but the, um, you know what I mean? So the, um, the, uh, the stepson of Joseph, but these, the half, excuse me, the half sibling of, James and Jude. And and so that's really what's left to us is that's, that's who we're talking about. The, the, all of the claims made by him about himself or by his immediate followers about him. Those are what we're looking at. And yes, that does include being a, a rabbi 2000 years ago. And it does include being a religious leader. And it does include being maybe someone who worked in his, you know, 
in Joseph's carpentry shop. All those things. So when people say, I, you know, I follow a Jewish carpenter, well, that's not necessarily wrong right. um, or, uh, or whatever, but that's not all. That's not all of it. Yeah. It's, it's important. And as we go back to understanding him as a Jewish rabbi, there's cool things we understand from mm-hmm. that. But he's also all the things that, that, that Chris just read from Paul's letter. This is who Je- Jesus is also all of these other things, by whom, for whom, and through whom all things were created. So that's what we mean we're talking about Jesus is, yes, Jesus of Nazareth, the wise man from 2,000 years ago who walked the earth, but also Jesus, the second person of the Trinity who existed before the creation of time and has just now been revealed to us. Mm-hmm or Jesus who will come back and take his people home and mm-hmm. judge the world. Like this, all the same guy. Yeah. As you guys have spent a decent amount of time engaging in these conversations with people about saying, okay, this is what Christianity is. This is what Christianity isn't. When you talk about having a relationship with Jesus, do people ever have people ever given you like weird looks like, well, okay, well, how do I have a relationship with somebody who I can't see? Or who lived that long ago? Because that's very, it's a very different relationship than any other relationship, I guess, we're used to, for sure, in our American context. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So I think, well, I think his, I even saw a t-shirt one time that said, Jesus is my BFF. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's cute, but you're like, well, that, it's not even the same t- type of a relationship anyways. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a relationship, but to compare it to that. And so I think that is one thing that it's not, it's not, he's not your buddy. You're, there's another teacher I saw said, Jesus is my homeboy. And I'm like, it's <laughs> not, because you, you think of. You understand what there's, we, we get yeah, what yeah, saying. We understand. Right. Making, right. He's close. Yeah. But it's, it's not that it's, it's way more than just that. I was even thinking of um, John who wrote the book of John who's called the beloved or he's this, had this extra mm-hmm. close res- relationship with Jesus also wrote the book of revelation. And in it, you've got the very first chapter of Jesus showing up and John sees him and you don't get this, yo bro, how you been? Give me, a, you get this seeing <laughs> Jesus in all his glory. And John falls down like as if he's dead, like he's just so overwhelmed yeah. with, who Jesus actually is. So even the the idea that it, it is a friendship. I mean, mm-hmm. the Bible talks about um, Moses was called the friend of God, you know, those kinds of yeah. things. But it, it's still on just, it's hard to, to to explain it the same way that we think of a relationship yeah. with a friendship. But it is still one that I, I'm talking to him. I'm reading his word. Um, I believe he's, he's, you know, will convict me and is, um, you know, getting my, attention if I'm off track, yeah. you know, so there is a relationship type there, but it's not like, I'm, and then you, just, but I'm, you, you start pulling in things like the Bible because if it's like, well, how do I talk to him? Right. And what do I, so it's like, it's not like I pull up an extra chair when exactly. I'm coffee and I'm just assuming like it's some mm-hmm. magical, whatever I, I'm again, assuming that the Bible is his word and he speaks to me through that. And the Holy spirit enlightens me as I'm mm-hmm. reading. So it's a, it's an ongoing relationship. It's not the, what I do. Yeah. Um, that doesn't define it, but what I do is a part of it. So again, my relationship with my wife is not, well, I take her on dates and I make coffee for her. And I, yeah. that's what I do that overflows out of our relationship. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think, I think that's a, it, I've, I've teased before or said before kind of 
I think I think there are times when probably uh, if my relationship with if my relationship with God was like my relationship with you know if my relationship with my wife was like my relationship with God, I'd, I'd be a, a first class stalker. <laughs> like I love the things of God. I love studying God. I like looking at what God's done. I like reading His books. <clears throat> like telling his stories. I like all this, but it's amazing how often I can fall into the trap of, but I haven't talked with him in a while. I haven't sat and just been still for a while and let him communicate with me the way he desires to communicate with me, which is seems to be different person to person. Mm-hmm. Which Again, that shouldn't surprise us, but yeah, I feel like, I feel like <clears throat> I, I don't, I actually, what's interesting is I don't know that I've ever had a non-believer ask me, how do I have a relationship with a person who's not like that? They may ask me, how do I get saved? Meaning, how do I initiate that relationship? How do I start that mm-hmm. relationship? How do I make that step? But it's it's always other believers who are asking, okay, what do I need to do? Because I feel like I've grown further from God or I'm mm-hmm. not related to him. And keep in mind, Jesus said that our heart follows our treasure. Mm-hmm. And so he predicts about us that where we invest our time, our energy, our money, our our resources, our strategic thinking or whatever, our hearts are going to go in that direction. So it doesn't surprise me when I read about someone who's deconstructing, who says, you know, I stopped reading the Bible and I stopped praying. And I, after a while I stopped going to church and then I stopped hanging out with my Christian friends. And then I, and so I don't know, I just, it seems like, you know, it was easy to walk away from. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus said that about you. you. You are like a sheep and you're prone to wander. That is not a compliment. Mm-hmm. And that's all of us. And so that's why he gave us these ways to love him well just like any relationship would. I mean, my wife has taught me over the last 30 years better and better and better how to love her well. And I can choose not to do those things, but if I don't do them, I should expect my heart to draft, to drift from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anyone would say that's exactly what happens. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not surprised when people, if they say, I don't know how to grow closer to God. One, if they're, if that's authentic, man, what a fun conversation that would be. Yeah. I think usually it's, if I say, really, you don't, like, what would you guess are some ways? And they start, well, I could pray, I could read his word, and I could be around other Christians, and I could maybe do some of the Christian disciplines like fasting and silence and isolation and memorizing scripture. That sounds like a, that sounds good like a pretty good list. Yeah, those good those sound to good. Start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To be faithful with the things that we do know to do. Yeah. And so if I want, my, if I want to have a closer relationship with my wife, it's going to need to start with the things I do know to do for her that bless her and encourage her and draw Mm -hmm. us near to each other. I know that in the future we're going to probably really soon in the future address. So what are reasons why people really do give for constructing their faith? But I think part of this goes back to what do you actually believe that you have? Like, do you actually believe you have the greatest treasure in the universe, that you actually have a meaning that this world can give you or this satisfaction that isn't based on your circumstances or a hope that can face anything like you've got a right? Because when you have that, I just feel like a lot of the reasons that people give or coming walking away from their faith or doubting it is they're like, well, but Christianity is all about God's mad at you and he wants to send you to hell. And so if you don't accept Jesus and it, it seems so external and non-relational 
then all these other people that are happy following these other things, it looks like, well, who am I to say? It looks like they're, they're finding God their own way or they're happy in their own way. But part of it goes back to, but what do you actually believe that you have? Because in, in the book of the, the gal that you and I both know who, who wrote about that, she talked about like, I mean, who am I to say that they're not like, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to impose this thing on them. And it's like, yeah. but, but what do you actually believe that you have? Do you believe right. you have a relationship with the creator of the universe that's made possible only through what Jesus did? And you really did deserve, you know, separation or you had separation from God. But because of Jesus, now that's restored. Like, is it this the most meaningful thing in your life? Because <clears throat> if not, then. Yeah, of course, of course, it'll be undermined by something. Right. So you know, there's a lot of fun ways to cope with life. There's a lot of pleasurable things that. Mm-hmm. Well, even just things that you don't, it's not like, well, I'm going to choose not to disagree with this person and, or of affirm what they believe about marriage or about gender or about right. anything. I mean, really. And it's like, okay, well, if I don't hold a conviction about this, it's going to be a whole lot easier for me. Right. And so God doesn't want me to be at odds with other people. Right. You know? At least that was that was what yeah I had read. But it's one of those, do I love them enough to want to tell them about the greatest thing that could you know ever happen to them or that would ultimately satisfy them longer than these things they're doing? Do I love them enough that I'm willing to even risk them not being happy with me to tell them of this joy that I found? Because if not, if I've just got this mundane, ritualistic, this is what way I was raised, and this God is, I have this wrong view of God, then... I don't have much to offer them. And why would I want to, you know, but it's just like, you keep going back to marriage. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of marriage because I really love marriage. And so I can talk about marriage and the joys of it or children or things like that. But if I have a lousy marriage, I'm probably going to be cynical or not a big fan or kind of pessimistic about it. Right. And so it's the same thing where a lot of people that are deconstructing their faith, it's like, well, what did you even have? Did you have something that was like, treasure, you know, like fulfilling. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. That's, it's, it's one of the intriguing things that it's, it is that we get to have a relationship with him is based on him and his love for us, that he loved us before we loved him. And that's actually, again, as we've said many times and we'll come back that that's one of the, in many ways, distinctives of biblical Christianity. And yet as C.S. Lewis, I think points out, correctly he is he's still a gentleman um it's pretty uncommon for god to be like forceful overwhelmed i guess to say overwhelming us um he he very he rarely does that he he gives us the space the invitation to be part of who he is and to welcome us in um and he comes to us and invites us in fact that's that's one of my favorite pictures is of the picture in revelation to to cite from near where Chris was talking a minute ago that we write, we read all the time in a, some people refer to it in a salvation way that he stands at the door and knocks, but it's more than it's much bigger than just a salvation passage, a salvation concept that he comes to our door. He comes to the door of our church, to the door of our home, to the door of our hearts. And, and he knocks, he came to us, but he still lets us open the door and let him in we're still involved in the process of the relationship with him. And I think sometimes people, people think that they want him to do all the work and he'll do almost all the work. Um, and sometimes he will do all the work. He carries us around uh, sometimes completely. 
but we get to have a voice in that and a role in that. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we distance ourselves from him. He doesn't go anywhere. You know that old joke about the yeah. truck where you yes. about to do you? <laughs> tell it, tell it. That's okay. Good. <laughs> uh, so uh, the old couple's driving down the road to pick up truck and the truck in front of them has some brand new young, you know, young dating couple or whatever. And so of course the guys, the, the boy's sitting behind the wheel and the girl is sitting as close to him. I'm now pantomiming this as though anyone can see this on the, on the podcast, but it's, you know, sitting right up next to him. Like she snuggled up against him in the middle of the seat and whatever. And, and the, and the old lady says, um, who's looking at this goes, how come, uh, you know, we used to sit like that and we, why don't we sit like that anymore? And the old man says, I, I haven't gone anywhere. I'm, <laughs> I'm still in the same spot. I haven't moved. Yeah. I haven't moved the whole time. <laughs> I think that's a great, as as ridiculous as it is, that's a, that's a great picture of. Yeah, I, I always imagine when someone says, "I don't, I don't, I don't know, I just don't feel that close to God." I don't feel that that God's like, "I, I haven't gone anywhere." Yeah. I, I am one prayer, one passage, one thirty minute period of silence away from you, and you're going to have to choose to to accept that to slide back closer. I'm I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not. Well, even in that Revelation passage, he says. Repent and do the things you did at first. That's exactly, you know what? Like, you're exactly he right. Says, Go back and do those things. And <clears throat> um, at family camp, we had uh, Craig Rochelle was speaking um, once, and he was, he was applying it to marriage, but it applies to everything else that we're talking about. He said, if you want what you once had, you must do what you once did. Yeah. And if you want what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. So, again, like you're saying, like if you want, that closeness you used to have. Well, what did you used to do? And then I still want to get closer. Well, so what are some things you've never done? Like, have you ever set aside time to pray or read the Bible or fast or, you know, have you served somewhere? All those things that that can affect those things. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review will help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.